Hello everyone, Zary in the air, welcome back to the podcast, stoked you're here. I am just recently back from a really awesome trip to Maine. I'd never really explored the east coast at all, and especially not the northeast, but my best friend Adam Craig, who is an Olympic mountain biker, he's from Maine and has recently moved back there. Um, he was actually, he's been on the podcast, I think twice, but he was episode two or three or something. And the episode is incredibly good. You should definitely go back and listen to it. He tells the stories. He tells the story of him racing at the Olympics, which is hilarious and heartbreaking at the same time. But, um, he turned 40 and so we went out to celebrate him and to ride mountain bikes on trails that he's recently built. So it was awesome. So I'm stoked to be back here. And today I want to tell you about something that I've ruminated on for a long time. I want to tell you the history of how I've come to think about this and how I use it in my life now. And that subject is how to party. So we're going to start with some party music and then we're going to get right into it. Okay. Thanks for being here. Here we go. Of 
feel like I wanna be inside you when the sun goes down. As long as I'm gonna be around you when the sun goes down, yeah. throat or do I do I have a tickle in my throat or do I just sound like a frog today kind of froggy anyway hi thanks for being here if you like this podcast continue uh, consider or continue supporting it by making an iTunes review I haven't asked anyone to do that in quite some time but I think that helps um, but go over to patreon.com slash airy in the air you could become a patron and support me for as little as $5 a month. Top tier patrons will get one-on-one calls with me, coaching calls. Appreciate you considering. Thanks for being here. Clinking my cold brew coffee around in my glass here. So, how to party. How to fucking party, man. This is a good subject. This is a good subject, and I guess the reason that I'm talking about this is because I think that partying is misunderstood and is a powerful tool for transformation and healing that we often underestimate or misunderstand. So... I want you to know how to party so that you can conceptualize partying in your own life. And I, if you've listened to me for any time, I think you probably know that we're not talking about beer here. And we're not talking about keg stands, and we're not talking about tequila shots. Although, we don't have to um, renounce any of those things either. Alcohol is not exactly the type of drug that's going to help you achieve a transcendental state or a healing experience. But... I have drank a margarita before and enjoyed it thoroughly. So, (laughs) like I said, that's probably not what we're talking about, but we don't have to renounce it entirely either. So let's start. Let's just roll it back. Let's roll it back to Redmond, Oregon. The year is 2005. Aerie is a sophomore in high school. And he has some friends who have got a bag of these funny things called psilocybin mushrooms. I think we thought of them as liberty caps then, which is a type of psilocybin-bearing mushroom. Just for a little background here, mushrooms, as we know, are... Wonderful, and all over the world, fungus is among us. 
But there's a certain family of mushrooms, referred to as psilocybes, that produce a compound called psilocybin. This compound is in the body of the mushroom at a fairly uniform uh, distribution. Like, you're not going to find much more in the cap than you will in the stem, and that's contrary to popular belief. But they're going to be anywhere from 0.75 to 1.8 or so percent psilocybin by weight of these funny little mushrooms, of these psilocybes. And psilocybin is processed in your body into a compound called psilocin. And psilocin is a hallucinogenic drug. It's a psychotropic, and it is awesome. So we're in 2005, and we're in Redmond, Oregon, and we're after school on a Friday, and my friends say, oh, Ari hasn't taken these here. We'll give them to Ari. And they remained sober, and we went to our favorite swimming hole. <laughs> the swimming hole had some cliffs, had a beautiful waterfall, and I just remember feeling more embodied than I ever had before. And when I say embodied, I mean literally in my fucking body. Like, I could feel my body. I could feel my competence. I could feel my strength. I jumped into the water and I could feel my precision and my accuracy. I could feel my ability to swim and my ability to hold my breath. And I just like, I was like awake. It was almost like I was awake for the first time. At this point in my life, I you know, I was could do flips on skis and triple flips on trampolines and jump off cliffs and all kinds of shit. I was a wild child, so it wasn't that I um, had never had an experience of physical competency, but this just felt different to me. I also felt extremely euphoric. I laughed so hard, and I was just so happy. I was so grateful for my life. What happened after this was about a couple years of eating mushrooms recreationally on the weekends. I never felt it addictive because um, if you've ever tried, you can eat mushrooms. If you eat a bunch of mushrooms on Friday, it'll be hard for you to get the same effect on Saturday. Pretty much impossible, really. You'd have to like radically increase your dosage and still you might not have the same exact experience. So... <laughs> I continued to use these drugs through college and never really tried LSD or MDMA. I had kind of had a hard boundary around MDMA because if you know what MDMA stands for, it's a mescal something methamphetamine. And in Redmond, Oregon, meth was kind of rampant when I was an adolescent, and so I had a hard boundary around that just due to the MA of MDMA. I didn't want to ingest anything methamphetamine into my body. And so I also kind of came to learn that ecstasy, one of the downsides, I'd been warned by my friends who had tried it. They told me, don't do it because you might not enjoy your life as much after that. 
They told me that it was almost as if they had had such a good time on ecstasy that the next day they felt depressed and that they would never feel like that again. I was warned by a number of people about that. And so by the time I had my first bad trip, <laughs> we're, all, we're all familiar with the term bad trip where you take a psychedelic compound and your mind goes to darker places and feelings that you would rather not feel at that level of intensity. And yeah, the first time I had a bad trip, I don't ever, I don't actually think I've ever had a bad trip entirely, but I have had scary moments. And so the first time I had one of these scary moments, I think I realized that it wasn't then, but it was in the aftermath. I realized that these kinds of drugs were going to bring up what's inside of you and you can't always control what's inside of you. You can't always make yourself have a positive experience. Whereas on ecstasy, I think that it kind of hijacks your brain and makes you feel good. It's a feel-good drug. And so I kind of labeled it as a shortcut, a cheater way, where I had respect for mushrooms and acid that if you were going to have a bad trip, that was inside of you and you, you needed to go through that. So you didn't want to just protect yourself from that with a drug that would make you feel merely good. So, through college, I ate mushrooms. I'd never tried acid. There was a long hiatus for me, and I stopped using those drugs while still recreationally smoking marijuana or drinking beer. This this idea of how to party still was lost on me, and I know I haven't gotten into that just yet, but when I, I had this hiatus, it was probably for four or five years, I would say, you know, three, four years, where I just didn't eat any of these, and when I came back around to them, I think I had a slightly different... idea of what was possible by using these compounds. I had always had a very fond and respectful view of these compounds because I had had such incredible experiences with my friends. Um, mushroom trips had facilitated some of... How would I say this? It's almost like I had taken mushrooms in high school with my two best friends. And when I say my two best friends, like, man, in high school, your two best friends are like your fucking brothers, right? Like, like that was a time where we were really growing up together. So Zach and Josh and I ate mushrooms at my dad's house when he was away for the weekend. And we got so fucking high that we laughed so hard and we got confused and we lost our words. And it was like really like kind of confusing. And we came out of that experience just with this new level of bond. Like... You know, we had already been so close and it was amazing that there was something that could take the bond that we already had and make it deeper. I was amazed by that. I'd also had incredibly joyous experiences, you know, skiing powder at Mount Bachelor on mushrooms. 
even with a broken ski. <laughs> I remember a day I, I ate mushrooms and I had a broken ski and I just rode it, just rode a broken ski on mushrooms. It was really weird, but it worked. Um, so when I came back to these, let's call it four years ago, maybe a bit more. And the first time, oh, oh I'm, I'm, I'm remembering a step here. I had, uh, you know, I had kind of reverted to using the mushrooms for concerts. I went to a fish concert and I made a mushroom tea and I brought it in a water bottle and we drank it before we went in. That was a good idea. Amazing time. Fish blew my mind. And then I went to, with the same guy, I have an older friend who, you know, had traveled around seeing fish and I would have never bought a ticket, but he said, Ari, I bought you a ticket. We're going to fish. Fair enough. His name was John. And so John and I went to fish. We went to widespread panic. And um, both times on mushrooms. Had a great time. There's something about a concert on mushrooms. It's just, it's a really right thing to do. Note, I also haven't started to talk about how to party yet. I'm just talking about my experiences here. So I'm not actually recommending that you do this or any drugs at all. Do I need a disclaimer? Someone call my lawyer. I don't know, we're already fucking 20 minutes into this, so whatever. Okay, so. In the, I think it was August of 2017 that there was that big solar eclipse in North America, right? And in Oregon, they did the Oregon Eclipse Festival, I was lucky enough to just grow up here that the eclipse was like the fullest right here in my, like right outside of my hometown. So we drove like something like what would usually take less than an hour. And it took us like seven hours because of the traffic, this huge line of festival goers trying to get into the festival. And we went to the Oregon Eclipse Festival. I met some friends there who, uh, my ex-wife, we went together and she had some Mexican friends that came his name is Diego and Diego had been to a bunch of different electronic music festivals and concerts and stuff and so he was a bit versed at who were the awesome DJs that we should see and yada yada and so I remember the first day that we really had a day of the festival because you know you got to get settled in set up camp and yada yada but the first day that the group basically we ate mushrooms and we went to a Polish ambassador concert and fuck we just had so much fun um, it was just ridiculous we we're all just dancing and just like totally blissing just totally blissing out so after this Oregon Eclipse Festival that was in August my birthday is in December if you roll back in this podcast you'll see an episode called the birthday lesson and the birthday lesson is I think a precursor to this how to party. Um, the birthday lesson is essentially that being a bah humbug and trying to turn down or ignore your own birthday could be a mistake. And rather, there is a lot to learn and a lot to be grateful for if you can take the day of your birth and use it as a point of reflection on your life. If you look back 
onto the year that you've just had, onto your mistakes, onto your successes, onto your experiences, onto your relationships. You can think about the things that went right, the things that were amazing, the things that felt great, the the things that felt most embodied, most integrated, the lessons that you learned. You can also look forward. What is the next year going to bring? What would you like to set intentions for? How would you like to grow? What would you like to experience? What kind of relationships would you have? Who do you want to be? That's essentially the birthday lesson. So the birthday lesson I recorded after I had done what will forever be referred to as the cave rave. Mm Mm-hmm. So, there is a cave here in Bend, Oregon called the Hidden Forest Cave, and I think I'm probably admitting some kind of misdemeanor by telling you this, but the Hidden Forest Cave is this beautiful cave that is essentially a collapsed lava tube that has a forest growing up out of it, and on one side, about a 40-foot overhanging cliff that goes all the way back down, 100 feet back, and about 30 feet down, and in the middle of this boulder field at the bottom of this cave is a 30-foot wide circular dirt dance floor, perfectly flat. I used a generator, and we put the generator on top of the cave and ran this big cord down into the cave to power a mega PA system and lasers and lights and fog machines, and we had a huge bonfire in the middle of the dirt dance floor, and we proceeded to fucking party all night. And I guess we can just start talking about how to party here. So I had my friend Diego, who was a very connoisseur of electronic music, recommend some of some music based on what he saw that I really liked at the festival. And he sent me about 10 hours of tracks and I put them together and pushed play at the party. But before we pushed play on it, I basically got everyone, gathered everyone around. I had procured the proper compounds, if you will. And I dosed everyone, recommended what they ought take based on their experience and who they were and how I knew them, yada yada. So I think I had, the first year, mind you, I, I think I probably spent a month preparing this party, like, the firewood and the food and the music and all of the generators and the PA and the gas and yada, 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 yada. And for this huge party that I planned, I think we had at most 15 people there at one time. And I think maybe 25 based on the people who came and gone. (laughs) Huge, huge planning for 15 of us to have a really great time. So, how to party. Before we took the drugs, I got everyone to come around in a circle. And I had brought paper and pens. And I encouraged everyone, because I'd made a mushroom tea, obviously, I like mushroom tea. My typical combination for this kind of experience is something on the accord of half a hit of acid and a cup of mushroom tea. Then for the rest of the night, you'll probably just nibble on mushrooms like they're popcorn intermittently to keep that mushroom buzz going. But 
before we took the drugs, I recommend everyone come around the fire. We kind of had a moment of silence and we, I let them into what I was thinking on my birthday because this was on my birthday. And the thoughts I was having were something like what I shared with you before. (laughs) What happened in the last 365 days? What was good? What was bad? What would I like to change? What was I proud of? What wasn't I proud of? What what could my next 365 hold? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? What would I like to change, affirm? How would I like people to feel when they're around me? So I recommended that everyone take their piece of paper and their pen and write down things that they wanted to let go of. These were both things that had happened that they weren't happy with, that they wanted to let go of. These were attachments that they had. These were painful memories they had, pain points, shame. But it was also things that they wanted, their desires, their goals, their hopes, their expectations. Write those things down too so that we can all let go of them. So we took these things and we wadded our balls up, these papers, we wadded our papers into balls and we all put them on the fire and we watched them burn and we drank our mushroom tea and we let a little tab of acid dissolve under our tongues and for the next 10 hours we played, we laughed, We danced, we hugged and kissed and massaged each other, and we made love and we fucking partied. It was so freaking good. God, it was so good. It was the greatest party of my life. At the time, my wife at the time was in Mexico. She's from Mexico. She was there. She wasn't at the party. That was December 22nd. And on January like 10th or something, she told me she wanted a divorce. So it was amazing precursor to a big change in my life. And I was so grateful that I had this kind of like self-affirmation in my life that I was able to almost like insulate the experience that I was about to have with in my relationships. So, Cave Rave, that was Cave Rave 1.0. We listened to Claptone. We listened to Mark Farina. We listened to Hot Since 82. We listened to Black Coffee, this African, one-armed African DJ. It was fucking rad. We had so much fun. I danced so much. So the next year, in the spring, my best friend Matt had his birthday. And I had kind of taken this lesson of like, oh, wait, let's like, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's put some intentionality behind it. Let's like shake off our year. Let's like shake off what hurt. Let's like look forward to what is good. Let's like 
reflect on our relationships and ourselves. Let's practice gratitude for the people, places, and experiences that we have around us. Let's affirm each other and touch each other and let's play. Let's dance. Let's shake it off. So, I made another long 12-hour set of music. And for this party, we are out in the desert. And before we did the drugs, I brought everyone around for the little shamanic drug-taking ceremony that I like to facilitate. And since it was Matt's birthday, I wanted to affirm Matt in the way that I saw him and why I loved our relationship and what it did for me. And so I made a little speech, and it was basically about service. Because Matt Brewer, my best friend, he is this amazing person who is so helpful and generous. He's very caring and generous and giving. So Matt, most every day for the last God knows how many years, he would pick me up at my house to go paragliding. And he would drive the truck into my driveway. He would park it. He would jump out. He would go into the garage where he knew my glider was. He would pick it up. He would carefully put it in the truck. He'd go back in for my harness. He'd put my tr- my harness in the truck. He would come upstairs. He would greet me with a huge smile and a big hug, ask me how I was doing, how he could help me. And he would load my shit up into the truck and he'd drive me to Pine Mountain. We'd have a great time paragliding. Then we would drive back and he would pull into my driveway and he'd park the truck and he'd get out and he'd unload my gear and he'd put it back right where he found it. And the whole time just doing this in a really selfless servant fashion and like really happy to help. Okay, so I let people know here at this little pre-drug moment that we were having around the fire that the thing that I really wanted to affirm in Matt, the thing I was so grateful for was his service to me. And I recommended that maybe tonight for this party that we could in everything we do, remember the idea of service, that we should take care of ourselves very well and serve ourselves so that we can be full as a way to pour out our love and servitude onto other people, and to think about the role that we have and the positive impact that we can have and how it makes us feel when we serve other people. We have something bigger than ourselves to live for, to work towards, And we all kind of thought about this for the party. And my personal experience was that this party was so fucking good that by the time the sun rose and we were sitting around the fire after dancing and danced and danced and danced and danced and laughed and laughed and laughed and loved and cried and cried. The afterglow that I had from that fucking party, it was like I was joyously doing the dishes for a month the thought of doing the dishes changed. The experience of service, of my chores, of what was right in front of me, it changed. It literally did. It changed. It felt better. It felt richer. It felt more meaningful for me to take care of myself and the people around me. I felt like I was on my path. It was really good. 
So, the next year we had Cave Rave 2.0. This time we had a swing that was like 40 feet long and we swung over the fire out of this huge opening of the cave. It was fucking unreal. We had Nick made these amazing sourdough cinnamon rolls for sunrise. So at sunrise we all had these amazing cinnamon rolls heated on the open fire. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> um, and having two cave raves back to back was like cave to cave. I had gotten a divorce, met a new woman, made her my partner, built a relationship that felt better than anything I'd ever experienced, was closer to my friends than I'd ever been. And so it was really amazing to look back on my life cave to cave. Of course, and then that second cave rave, I did the same thing. We had kind of a Let's make some intention before we take these drugs and then we're going to party, party, party. And it was so fun. Oh my God, I loved it. The following year, Cave Rave 3.0 was not in the cave because the United States Forest Service took boulders and rolled them down into the dance floor. I think because they didn't want people partying in there because I wasn't the first person to have a bonfire down there. Thank you very much. They're trying to protect the bats that don't live in there anymore anyways, so, so... I mean, I'm a conservationist, but also kind of fuck the bats. We really People really enjoyed that place. At any rate... <laughs> the, third, the third iteration, the third birthday party that I threw for myself. And when I... Let me just explain that just a little bit. For the second cave rave, I literally spent probably 45 days procuring the music myself, finding the parts of the sets that really resonated with me that I found, and I actually brought the sets into Adobe Audition, and as I edit audio for my podcast, I'd learned how to do it, and filmmaking, and blending things together, so I'd actually kind of like DJ'd the DJs. So I'd taken these sets, and I'd kind of cut them up, and I put them into the order that I really liked, and I had built this like whole story arc of our night that was going to kind of start kind of like almost scary and reflective and like confronting and then it would going to be really like joyous and dancing and party and party 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 and then we were going to like kind of come down into some more um thoughtful but still danceable jams spent 45 days doing that had created a whole playlist or a whole it was a single file I'd also like made these funny like voiceover things. So like halfway through the party, it came on and it was like, um, copy out, uh, calling all cars, calling all cars. There is a huge party at the hidden forest cave and we need everyone to get there and party their asses off. It was really funny and everyone laughed and I was so fucking self-conscious about that. And it was crazy how self-conscious I was about that kind of thing. It's a risk to be seen and to be myself. So. It was worth it. But the third cave rave, basically my little shaman ceremony of everyone before we took the drugs, I basically, you know, my best friend Nick came and catered it. He owns a restaurant, Mediterranean restaurant, and so he catered it for free. And we had probably 20 people there, and I said, okay, guys, you know, after dinner, I said, all right, everybody get a drink, gather around the fire. I'm going to teach you all how to party. 
get a drink, gather around the fire, I'm going to teach you how to party. And I told him something along the lines of what I just said. This I Two years ago, I'd had this party that we threw for Matt here in the desert. And we set this intention to understand service and to meditate on this idea of service. And through using a powerful disruptor, which is a psychedelic drug, which is going to disrupt a number of things in your life. One, it's going to disrupt your natural rhythm because you're basically going to take the drug at the time that you would normally go to bed and you're going to stay up all night. So that's a huge disruptor. It's also going to disrupt just your natural way of thinking because you think and feel differently when you're high on psychedelics than when you're sober. And it's going to disrupt your just natural patterns because you're going to stay up and dance and you're going to build a fire. Usually you would be asleep. So there's this powerful disruptor, which is an important part of this recipe of how this can be transformational and healing and affirming. And there was also this intentionality of like, okay, there's something that we can like meditate on for the next 12 hours of service and how we like take care of each other and ourselves. That's a really powerful thing to think about and meditate on. As well as just the playful aspect of just like coming into a state of play. And I told the story of how good it felt after that party to do the dishes and to serve people. And that I was hoping to have a similar experience with them on this night. There's an important part of this that I think I need to make explicit, which is everything that we experience, our body holds on to, both positive and negative. In 2014, there was a book written by a Dutch psychiatrist from the University of Boston called The Body Keeps the Score, in which he put forward the research that he had done over 20 years or so and showed that, yes, our bodies hold on to our emotional experiences, both positive and negative, and... that our bodies need ways to process these. This is something that in psychology they call somatic processing, like how your body, your soma, processes your experience. The That cave rave 3.0 that was actually in the desert, it wasn't the cave. We still called it that. Um, I had met my best friend, Adam's new girlfriend for the first time. Her name is Annie. She's been on this show. I talk about her all the time. Annie Pendigraf, Dr. Annie, which I nicknamed her Dr. Banana because it's funny, but she's a clinical psychologist and the head of operations at a mental institution, a criminal one. Um, that's my phone ringing. Please hold. Okay, so the first real conversation I'd ever had with Annie that night at the party, we sat around the fire and we were kind of talking about partying because I had just given everyone a speech about why we were out 
doing what we were doing. And she said, that was very interesting. Do you know why zebras don't get ulcers? <laughs> I said, well, what the fuck are you talking about? And she went on to explain something, which was that in the life of a zebra, basically every day of a zebra's life, it is going to be chased near its death. It's going to be chased by a lion. And some predator is going to eat one of the babies extremely stressful things that give them a huge adrenal response, a big cortisol response. And they have developed, they have evolved to have this response to deal with that. What they do after a very adrenaline-filled runaway from something that's trying to eat you experience is they stand around in a circle and they shake 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 and they shake. They shake like it looks like they're trying to get water off of them. And they just shake and shake and shake. And it's a bit more violent than that. And it's a bit more like kind of goofier than that. And they shake and prance and shake and shake and shake. And then they drink a bunch of water. They fuck and they go to sleep. Humans don't do well with these extended and repetitive adrenal responses. Basically, if you're really, really stressed out for a really long time, your stomach will start to eat itself from the inside out and give yourself an ulcer. So the response that a zebra has to shake it off, we call it shake it off. We have that same pathway in our brains. And so you've probably noticed this when you like have a close call or like you think about something that's really dangerous that you had a near miss, like it almost like triggers your disgust response and you just like go and you shake and your body just like shakes it off. That is literally your body trying to rid yourself of that experience, that memory, that uh, chemical response that's happening. And in modernity, we basically have, fuck, how is this happening? I swear to God, the things on Do Not Disturb. So, in modernity, we have kind of suppressed this need for our bodies to physically process our emotions. We basically pretend that we're okay all the time, and we just stuff it down, and we tend to try to do things like drink, or distract ourselves with entertainment. Um, some of us exercise and have found that exercise is an incredibly powerful way to deal with our stress. And that is, I would say, the same exact pathway. That is the physical shaking or the jogging or the biking, whatever that is. That movement isn't as important as the fact that we're out there moving and moving and moving. Our body is getting a chance to process our emotions. So I can I think I can just give you the recipe here succinctly. How to party starts with intentionality that for me your intention can be different than mine but for me when I want to party like this my intention is to be connected both to myself and the people around me, to be reflective of my life, 
to be grateful for the experiences that I've had, the opportunities, the body, the people, the places, the privileges that I have. It is to disrupt my life so that I can have a new way of seeing things, myself, people, so that I can create a space for me to process my life and my emotions, both emotionally and somatically through my body moving and dancing and moving and dancing and playing and dancing and frisbee and dancing and dancing and dancing and dancing. And so much of this is exacerbated or like it's helped by having a disruptor. And this powerful disruptor is a couple of things. One, it's the psychedelic drug, but it's also the nature of the party that we're trying to stay up all night. So we're disrupting our sleep cycle, but we're also disrupting our other thing. So it's like, if you could stay up all night and dance and dance and dance and laugh and play and dance and dance and dance and reflect on your life and practice gratitude and appreciation and cry and grieve and shake it all off without doing drugs, you can imagine how healing of an experience that would be. The drugs aren't the important part here. They're not. The intention is important. The reflection is important. The dancing is important. The shaking it off is important. The disruption of your normal daily rhythms is important. And if you can do those things without the drugs, then great. And if you can do those things, then the drugs just might be just one more tool to add to your recipe of how to party. I hope that something that I've said here helps enrich your life and helps you understand how you might use dancing disruptors at a party to heal yourself, to connect with yourself, to connect with the people around you, to set intentions for your life, to reflect on your life, to be grateful. If you like this podcast, share it. Consider becoming a patron on Patreon. I really appreciate that. I love you. Happy partying. Cheers, my friends. You and me, it's not over. Don't you remember the good time?